0: I appreciate that song as we go into our time in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, but before we get into God's Word, let's uh, pray. Father, just ask you to speak now as you uh, have your folks uh, gathered here, your family, your bride, that you'd also bring your Word through to them, that they'd hear you speak and see you work as we gather, and just that this Word would stick in our hearts, and work in our minds as we go through our week, that regardless of the trials and forces that we meet throughout the week, that your word and this time of worship would remind us that um, those feel real and are real in many ways, but this world is not all that there is and is not our home, and you are preparing us and leading us to a much better place and a much better time. I just ask that you allow that reminder to come clear this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So that song comes out of a really difficult time in the author Laura Story's life as she and her husband found that he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and that that would require serious surgery and treatment to recover from and fight and long-lasting battle for them as a couple as he found out he had this serious, uh, in many ways, um, reminder of of your mortal life, your mortal flesh. And we're going to talk about that this morning, but the trial that that was and the blessings that Laura saw, I hope you can see the connection between that and this passage we're going to be in. Again, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 50 through 58 over the next few minutes. I'm just going to read this real quick. I want you to hear uh, Paul's kind of making a concluding remark as he drives home to the Corinthian church the reminder of how valuable it is that we have resurrection in Christ. We have sin and death in Adam. That door was opened by Adam. And a second door, a much better door, uh, was opened by Christ as he rose from the dead, defeating death. So we're going to go into this text and we're just going to have that that same reminder and conclusion this morning. uh, And then we'll go back into some worship. So I'll just read this and we'll reflect. I tell you this, brothers... Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As I said when I got up here, Laura's story knows first and foremost the reality of the pain and the trial that is our physical life here on earth. She saw her husband get diagnosed with a very serious brain tumor and go through the treatment necessary for such a thing. And you and I, we know that this is true, that trials are inevitable, But as she states in that song, a powerful reminder that sometimes those trials have a hidden purpose. And we're going to talk about that hidden purpose and what Paul does with that reminder this morning. That hidden purpose is in reminding us that these bodies are insufficient for forever. They're insufficient, limited bodies for eternity. But that's not the end of the story, that we will be given an immortal body, a perfect body. So he reminds the Corinthian believers That what we draw on for this resilience for the future and for our current life is just that. That while you have a perishable body, you will inherit an imperishable body. And as I think about perishable, I want to talk for a minute about both our bodies and this apple. See, I I see this apple sitting on my desk this morning. I think, it's crisp, it's sweet, it's perfect. When I bite into this apple, it's going to snap and be a sweet, juicy apple. It's going to be a wonderful treat. But this apple has a fatal flaw. If I was to set it on this stage for the next couple of weeks, you know what would happen to it. The same air and water that gave this apple its visible perfection and brought it to this perfect harvest that we enjoy here in West Michigan is going to work against it, degrade it, and rot it over time. This apple has a fatal flaw in that it's not imperishable. You know that. You've packed them in lunches. You've taken, taken them on car rides. It'll be bruised and rotten in a few, a few weeks. So I think about that perishability, and while our bodies are amazingly design, designed and can do incredible things, and some of you have harnessed your bodies to do amazing feats through sports, physical activity, you know that your body has flaws. In fact, some of you probably wrestle with that and think about, there's something in my body that bothers me every day, it's something that hurts, something that nags on me. Maybe you've fought disease and seen injury happen and gone through treatment and surgery, all to be reminded, that this body, at some point, is going to give up. So Paul reminds us first, it's really actually the beginning of the gospel, the good news in this passage, because we want to look for that in every passage, is that, hey, hey, your body, you're not going to have that forever. The good news is that thing that's growing in your body or wearing on your body or holding your body down in some way, the thing that you f- get frustrated by or feel pain from as a reminder every day, is not going to go on forever that there's going to come a time, a point, an identifiable time in the future where you're going to be given a flawless body. Not a better version of your own, like an improved carbon copy, but a flawless, indescribable body. The perishable will be traded for the imperishable, mortal for the immortal. So he reminds us first of the necessity of death to part your soul, kind of reroute it from this, this fallen body that's affected by sin and death and disease. Something that's going to be perfect. That gives us good news as we live in the midst of those flawed bodies affected by disease, injury, and harm. So there's going to be a point. He talks about that point in verse 54 when he says, when this happens, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then we get this rallying cry. This is what we think of when we go to funerals of believers that we Are saying goodbye to in this life. And when we lose people who are close to us, who we know are being in the process, they're being made new in Christ as we speak. In that funeral, we think of these lines. Death is swallowed up in victory. First, I want you to know it's a victory that's consuming. There's not gonna be a remnant. When I think of swallowed up, I think you knew it was there, and then it's completely gone. It's completely consumed in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? I love that Paul uses these two things. Victory, you know when you've won, right? If you're in a battle, it's pretty clear typically what side wins. Both sides lose something, but typically there's a winner. There's a point where you know side A has won. There's a point in a basketball game where you know this team is victorious, and maybe you are the winner or the loser, but it's pretty clear. It's also clear when you get stung, right? There's usually not a question of, did I get stung or did I not get stung? It's usually pretty clear. So he uses these two things that are pretty clear when they happen to you. You've lost or you've been stung. And he says, wait, wait, wait. When you get the immortal, immortal, imperishable body, even these things that are so clear and usually so final and so clear are going to be gone. It'll be as if it didn't happen, as if you didn't actually lose, as if you weren't actually stung. Death is going to be taken out of that power and lose that ability and victory. So he reminds us that it's truly a perfection. Your body will not have those flaws, those nagging, nagging pains, the susceptible to disease to rot that you and I experience. But also, your, your mind will be transformed. You'll understand that death even itself has lost its sting. It doesn't win. That's why we have hope when we gather as a church to remember somebody who's, who's died in our church family. And we, we celebrate their lives and we celebrate that they are now in eternity with that imperishable body. Paul says this is going to happen one of two ways. You're either going to sleep, die, before Christ returns, or when he returns at that trumpet, that will occur for those who are living at that point. So the last emphasis that he really kind of drives home to us is, well, kind of twofold. First, the centrality of Christ to this. If you say, that sounds really nice. I would love some resilience for this life, some hope that this is not what I'm stuck with as I rot and fail that this isn't it. Don't miss in verse 57. He says, this is a victory only through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a victory only through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why I said, I hope you can say that he is your friend. I hope you can say that he's your Savior and your Lord. Because this victory, this momentary sting that death has that you could, you could forget as though it ever happened. Well, that's true for you if you're made new in Christ. That's true for you if you call him Savior. So we hope first that you know that this morning as as he is the source of that victory. But how does it give us resilience for, for this current life? As we walk through life and encounter things like the singers spoke about, the trials, how we pray for peace and we know we face things that are very much not like peace in our world. How do we have resilience for this life? Well, I think he says it's because we know in the end that we have that victory but sometimes that can drive us as believers to think that we have to do great things, that amazing signs outwardly of this victory have to happen in this earth. We're going to sing a moment, a song in a moment that reminds us that it's actually, it can be that. It can be God putting you in a position where you get to teach or preach, or maybe you're a college professor, but it's something much more simple than that. I think that's why he closes with 58. Therefore, my brothers... Beloved brothers, be steadfast. It doesn't say be known, be notable, be steadfast. Carry on in spite of things holding you back. Carry on in the work that was prepared for you, he says in Ephesians 2. Immovable. There'll be times, especially young people, that something will come along where you, you are distracted or drawn away from the work that's in front of you. I think on a busy week of tour, that's probably fatigue. But for us as adults, sometimes it's much more serious than that. Think about the things that threaten our families and our marriages that want you to move off of this course to a different one. Paul says, let this sustain you in a way that you're immovable, that you don't change course, that you know that the work that God has for you is what you need to stick with. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is the good news after all, right? That it's actually his work. He doesn't delegate it to you and then abandon you. That through the Holy Spirit, he partners with you. Michigan singers, I'm sure, after this week will not say that it was only through their strength that they got through this week. That is because those of you in this church family that are prayer warriors are praying for them as they go throughout their tour. That they're praying as a team. I know they do. They do devotions. Their spiritual learning as a team is important. And that's because they know it is, in fact, God that sustains them for this work that they're doing. As well as you and I know that that we can't do it on our own strength. So that important work of today, again, I want to remind you that might be as simple as continuing to pray for your adult child, being faithful to your spouse, going to work where you're the only Christian, the only person who outwardly is different than those you work along, responding in love to a critical boss or spouse or neighbor, showing that kindness over decades to a family member who's shown you nothing like that in return. Sometimes it's these simple things, and I think that's why Paul says just be steadfast. Keep doing the simple thing that God has called you to do. The singers will sing it like this in Dream Small by Josh Wilson. Keep loving, keep serving, keep listening, keep learning. Keep praying, keep hoping, keep seeking, keep searching. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a college professor. You don't have to be a ministry leader. God might call you to do that, but he might call you to be faithful and pray, and serve, and be patient, be true, parent, he may call you to all those things, serve kids who are not your own. He might call you to those things, and the realization that this world is not our home, and the trials that come, sometimes even as a part of that service, as a part of that faithfulness, don't surpass the victory that we will enjoy, is what will sustain us as we pursue that labor. His last phrase to the Corinthian believers in this, in this section is, it's not in vain. All of that work, how seemingly menial or tedious it might seem to you, is profitable and valuable to God. It doesn't have a scale of value where you have a title, now you matter. It's your faithfulness and your steadfastness is valuable to him. I hope you can see that in light of the victory that we will anticipate. Let me pray as we go into a time of worship. Father, I do ask that you allow um, my friends here to be reminded of the temporary being temporary and the mortal truly being mortal and that you offer us the imperishable through Christ. I just pray that everyone here would have an opportunity to consider if they are, if they are someday going to take that on, if they've asked uh, you to transform their lives now, Father, we do want people to follow you and know you through your Son. Thank you for his sacrifice, for your grace to us, for you opening that second door to us, that we could have life in his name. I just ask that that be true of everyone here and watching at home this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.